VorpalNetwork.com For entire generations of people now, gaming is as much a part of the fabric of their reality as television, films, books, music, and any other form of entertainment medium. Continue is a magazine for the gaming community, the global gaming community. Not just video and computer games, but board games, card games, role-playing games, alternate reality games, and anything that falls into the category of humans engaging to have fun. A celebration of gaming. Issue 3 now available, featuring the rise, fall, and rebirth of adventure gaming. A once mighty genre sits at the cusp of greatness once more. And the history toys. Why mixing real-world fact with in-game fiction provides a richer gaming experience for us all. Continue Magazine at www.continuemag.com Welcome to Gamer to Gamer, the podcast where we talk about games and how they're being played right now. I'm your host, Tracy Barnett. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Gamer to Gamer Live. Uh, my name is Tracy Barnett. I am your host, and I am here today with Chris Perkins of Wizards of the Coast. Hello. So, Chris, uh, tell uh, our audience here and those who will be listening eventually a little bit about yourself. Uh, let's see. Right now, I am the D&D senior producer at Wizards of the Coast, which basically means that it's my job to put out the products that we put out related to D&D. And there's a whole bunch of people in my team who actually do a lot of hands-on work to make that happen. And we have a ton of freelancers as well. Um, but I'm sort of very tactically focused, get the products out, make them as cool as they can be, and... Uh, try to make the next ones even better. Sweet. So obviously this uh, podcast is about you as a gamer mm-hmm. uh, and, and what you actually do. So what games are you actually playing right now? Oh, I wish I had more time to play games. Don't we all? Uh, currently, I'm running a D&D campaign twice a week on Mondays and Wednesdays. It has been an ongoing 4th edition campaign. It's very much nearing its end at this point. The characters are 29th level. Mm-hmm. Uh, each group sort of explores the world on their own. Okay. The two groups don't intersect. And so, because of that, there is a lot of DM preparation that I do. So I spend a lot of my week, when I'm not actually working, thinking about ways to kill them. (laughs) Uh, And to end the campaign in a dramatic fashion. Awesome. So I assume that each group, even though they don't intersect, the actions of each group has repercussions across... It's more like a... I've tried to do that, but it's more like a parallel universe situation. Where they could conceivably fight and slay the same threat. Gotcha. Um, okay. Originally, when I concepted the campaign, I wanted the two groups to be able to intersect and meet each other mm-hmm. and have uh, situations where one group affects, affects the campaign in a way that um, makes it harder or easier for the other group. Right. But in order to make that work, I would have had to have been able to get the players together. And unfortunately, just by the nature of the players, they were not able to play on any night but the night that they could play, and having 16 players in a room would have just been ridiculous. <laughs> no, that would have been a bit much, maybe yeah. maybe for the finale. That is possible. <laughs> I might be able to swing something. Hey, a one shot with, I, I think, I've heard you run game, I think you'd handle 16 yeah. players. And on occasion... <laughs> Once. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I could do it. It would kill me, but I could do it. Um, the... 
once in a while I will try to fabricate some situation where a player from the other group can can join mm-hmm. um, and there's all kinds of star trekky ways to kind of make that happen yeah. um, but basically they're separate so other than other than D&D and I used to be in a campaign until recently as a player that recently wrapped up so really it's the two campaigns and then uh, play testing at work mm-hmm. um, both the next iteration of the game as well as play testing just games Right. So we've got shelves and shelves of other people's games. We just play them to have fun, and maybe we even learn something once in a while. Sweet. So for your own uh, campaign, now is this, I, I remember uh, seeing you on a panel at PAX a couple years ago where you were talking about ongoing campaigns and the long running. Is is yeah. this that campaign that had started like the same players way back almost that decades ago? That is correct. Ago? Awesome. Uh, well, let me, let me just qualify that. So... Uh, my third edition campaign had a certain cadre of players Mm -hmm. and then that wrapped up and then some of those players came over to the fourth edition game that I ran that I started in 2007 maybe Um, and they've been with me for the past four and a half to five years Um, for the most part now players come and go as they do in many groups Mm -hmm. and I've brought new players in and others have left I think of the Several players I have now, maybe four or five of them are originals from four or five years ago. Cool. And everybody else has joined in when other players had to leave. All right. And with the uh, the system choice, uh, did you move over to fourth edition when it was released, and that's why you made that switch, or was there more behind that? Uh, really, it was just we were we were in the formative stages of fourth edition, and I wanted to start playtesting it. Okay. So. When I, the same thing happened with my third edition game. It started as a third edition playtest. Sure. The, that one start, the next, second one started as a fourth edition playtest, and the next campaign I run will undoubtedly be um, a playtest of the next edition. Yeah. Um, now, this is, the, this is the question, especially at Gen Con, is, is going to be kind of fun to ask because it's the question you're not supposed to ask anyone at a convention. Tell me about your campaign. <laughs> That's the point of the podcast. <laughs> well, at least you didn't ask me to tell me about your character. Oh um, no! If, if you were if you were playing in the yeah. game, I totally would have done that. <laughs> uh, the campaign—I don't need to go into a ton of detail because sure. I've been um, pretty upfront with it. Uh, it's called Iomandra. It's a very nautical-themed aquatic okay. world, uh, littered with islands, and every island basically has the potential for adventure or intrigue. I sort of. I wanted to capitalize on some things from... Actually, I was ripping off Star Trek, the idea of the episode of the week kind of thing. You Mm -hmm. just sail to a different planet, you have a new adventure, you're done, you go off to the next planet. It was sort of formulated like that, although it turned into... It sort of evolved into something much more cohesive and political. But uh, those who are actually interested in the world of Iomandra can check out my weekly article column, Mm -hmm. The DM Experience, which is on the Wizards website, where basically I take examples from my campaign each week to make some sort of point or to uh, help DMs through some problem I had Mm -hmm. to make them into better DMs or to help them overcome whatever issues they've got. Sweet. And the... The, the group that plays uh, in this campaign, the, even the, the two separate groups, uh, tell us a little bit about them. Do you have, I mean, I'm sure you've got the spectrum of players that everyone does. There's some who are much more focused on role-playing, some who are much more focused on the numbers. Give us a little bit of background, if you would. Sure. They're all dicks. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're uh, all fantastically creative, innovative people. Um, they have their own, like the Monday group and the Wednesday group, 
have this secret rivalry going on where they try to keep up on each other's uh, misadventures uh, and um, they try to outdo one another. Because I, in my column, I tend to talk about their actual experiences and I switch back and forth between the two groups. They kind of keep tabs on each other's uh, failures. And uh, so there's this kind of one-upmanship. Oh, yeah, we beat that trap. Yeah. Yeah. The Wednesday night group (laughs) thinks the Monday night group are all a bunch of talky teetotalers who try to role-play through every situation. Uh, The Monday night group thinks the Wednesday night group are just a bunch of bonsai crazy fugitives who are slaughtering (laughs) everything in sight because they're totally min-maxed. And uh, there's always this constant threat where if... uh, they don't outdo each other, I'll banish them to the hypothetical Friday game, which doesn't actually exist. <laughs> and, uh, they'll be out of the campaign. They, uh, the two groups are very... They're, they're, they're like a typical D&D party. Mm-hmm. It's like a walking circus. You know, they've got all kinds of races and class options. They've got all kinds of crazy little personal stories. Some of them don't even follow the rules that closely. They kind of make up their own. Uh, we have this sort of running gag Occasionally, they'll call upon some power I don't recognize, and I'll ask them where it came from, and they'll say it comes from the complete book of I Just Made It Up. (laughs) Um, Because that's what happens when you have creative designers in your group. Mm -hmm. Um, It's... I feel spoiled, honestly. That's pretty much all I can say. They they spoil me with their imagination, um, and they give me lots of stuff to play off of and build on. And that's something that you need as any any DM, any system. Yeah, the story of the that. campaign, it starts with the DM, but then once you, the DM puts it out there, it takes on a life of its own, and it becomes as much the player's story as mine. And that actually feeds nicely into the next question, because um, the next question sort of deals with how you guys run the game in terms of accessories, house rules, that kind of thing, because yeah. it sounds like um, you're not running, you know, the rules as written, and who cares? <laughs> yeah. I, the, well, we, we do sort of have the rules as our benchmark mm-hmm. guideline. We haven't thrown out the rule books right, or created or running a completely different game. Um, but there's a lot of situational adjudication. There's uh, a lot of my players pushing the boundaries as far as trying things that the rules don't necessarily encapsulate sure. and having to improvise through that. Um, but... Uh, I think my fourth edition campaign is actually closer to the rules than my third edition campaign was, uh, where I created a lot of weird house rule things. Um, What's the weirdest house rule you've come up with, do you think? I don't know if it's weird, um, but for third edition, I I, I stole an idea from Monty Cook about hero points. Okay. Um, This is before there were action points or anything else in the system, which basically... um, they, they function very similar to what Monty did in his tallest campaign. Mm-hmm. And uh, it allowed characters to spend these to do truly heroic, bizarro, epic things that you could not explain uh, through <laughs> sheer <laughs> athletics or study. Excellent. Uh, yeah. So, so like, the, if, if they need a wire-foo moment, this is what's going on. Yeah. Cool. Monty ran them even slightly differently where you had to... There was almost like a built-in sacrifice. Like, if you decided to take an attack to protect another character, mm-hmm. then you would get some leniency from the DM. Okay. Um, so I basically just ripped them off. Long short. If you're yeah. going to rip off from somebody, rip off from Monty Cook. That's right? not a bad rule of thumb, yeah. honestly. Um what, if anything, do you think would make your games better than they are now? Mm, 
better DM. <laughs> uh, what would make them better? Let me think about that. Sure. Um, hmm. That is a tough one. Um, I think that I wish I had more time to put into preparing for my game. Um, because I'm, I've been doing this a long time, I don't have too much trouble improvising during the game, but I could do more with handouts mm -hmm. and little gimmicks to bring to the table yeah. than I have time to prepare for. Uh, so, let's see, an assistant. That's what I need. <laughs> I go. need an ADM yeah. to help me make all my uh, cool stuff. You, you know, I'm sure there's a there's an intern program someplace. That would be that awesome. Could, that could start. Yeah. <laughs> what a great idea. You're on the ground floor right now. I'll try, right I'll, now. I'll try to pitch that right to now. my HR team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can I have an assistant to help me run my games? Yeah. That'll go over real well. Oh, it'll, be, it'll go over fantastic. Yeah. Well, it's an unpaid position, so. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it would be it would be a new, it would be a very bizarre experience to be an intern at Wizards of the Coast. I think that would be. I would imagine that it would be. Yeah, I if I were like a teenager or something like that, I would kill for that. Yeah, run down to Mike Merle's desk and get that mini for me. Yeah. <laughs> yes, right. sir. Right away, sir. <laughs> yeah, oh, and, my, and you get to Mike's desk. Yeah. And it's like, um, hey, I got these. Uh, these five magic cards. Which one do you think is the coolest? Yeah. Well, if you want, if you want a, if you want a mini at Wizards of the Coast, you got to come to me. I have that, to, That's true. I have a giant plastic coffin. Um, it's about five and a half feet long, and about two and a half <laughs> feet wide, and about two and a half feet deep, full to the brim with pre-painted plastic miniatures. Holy I could, crap! If I wanted a mini's bath, I could just. <laughs> you could that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, it's the worst organization system ever. <laughs> Where's the gold dragon? Those are the ones you actually use. Those are the ones I actually use. In fact, I've got this. I've got this. Uh, what do you call it? Like a wheelie cart, mm -hmm. like an industrial wheelie cart. And I've got my books and my map, my rolled-up maps on the bottom shelf. And on the top, I've just got the big giant coffin bin. It's like. Like wheeling it through a morgue down the halls of Wizards of the Coast, but it's full of minis, and nobody knows that. Um, I was able to terrify my players once, though, because I did not have a mini that I needed, and so I said, I need to find, I can't remember what it was, it may have been a gelatinous cube or something, mm -hmm. and I just reached my hand down into it and just pulled it out <laughs> without even looking. And they're like, Oh, <laughs> where's a DM superpower? Wow! Find any mini you need like that. It it, it only can happen once, but it happened, and that's yes. the important thing. That's it. Yeah, that's sweet. Yeah. Um. So, in terms of the games that you guys usually get into, are there off weeks? Do you rotate in other games? Do you try? I mean, aside from the stuff you play at work, and if you don't, tell us the stuff about you that you play test at work. Um, we do, uh, right now we're sort of hot and heavy into D&D Next playtesting, but at work you always see games uh, like Dungeon Command mm -hmm. will play this week. Next week we'll try something else. Sure. Um, it might be Descent. It might be Settlers of Catan. It might be Axis and Allies. It just depends. Uh, we've got so many people with so many different gaming tastes in our department alone, let alone our company, that there's always... a it's rare that you walk by and somebody hasn't got some game laid out mm -hmm. uh, to play. Um, for me, lately, I've been so busy. There's been very little opportunity for me to enjoy all the games that we have at our fingertips. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Honestly, I'm just I'm swamped. <laughs> 
because in addition to the the product work that we're doing, um, there's also the online magazines, Dragon and yeah. Dungeon, and they are very demanding. I can imagine. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, that brings us to um, the last official question. Then we're going to open it up to you guys for some questions as well. We have some giveaways. Uh, we're going to do some trivia. So, but the last question is my absolute favorite question of the podcast. Tell me a story about a game you were in. That is a good one. Um, one of my great memories is um, joining the Prey Mall campaign, okay. which very few people know about, but it is the precursor to Monty Cook's Tallis campaign. Okay. Um, he did uh, Monty did the Prey Mall campaign first, and I think that went for about two or three years and then we started playing Tallis and we had a bunch of people in that group and I remember I was very new to Wizards of the Coast at this time um, I don't know whether Monty invited to me into the group out of pity uh, <laughs> just to get me out of the office uh, or what but I found myself sitting around the table and beside me was Bruce Cordell and on this side of me was Michelle Carter, and across the table was Sue Cook and uh, Thomas Reed's wife, um, and just people that I had heard about mm -hmm. and had heard these TSR stories about, right. and like Monty's behind his screen, and I'm. It was such a surreal moment for me to be part of that group, uh, to feel like I had. I had some sort of crossed some sort of Asgardian threshold into another <laughs> world. It's the Hall of Heroes, it, and I'm it standing. It really in is. It. These are people whose words I've memorized yeah. for for ages, and to feel part of this group. Sean Reynolds was in the group as well, and he played a character whose name escapes me, but I remember he walked around with a frying pan, and I remember that frying pan actually factoring into the climax of the campaign. Of course it would. Yeah. He'd like tie a rope to the end of it and throw it at monsters <laughs> and crazy stuff. Uh, I think my first character died. My second character was a lizard man named Vess. And Monty is not the kind of DM who's easily rattled. Uh, he's, he's, he's well prepared. Mm -hmm. He goes with the flow. If you want to do something cool, his first reaction is, yeah, do it. It's going to be awesome. Um, but I actually managed to throw him and actually cause him to stop, uh, which I thought was particularly memorable when we had an NPC in our custody who we persuaded to do what we wanted him to do, mm -hmm. and then my character, Vess, basically pushed him off a cliff for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know whether Monty thought that this was going to be a recurring NPC or an NPC that he particularly liked, uh, but in that moment, he just sort of stared, dumbfounded, looked behind his screen, and just kind of went... Hmm. <laughs> and I knew, okay, the DM is not always, uh, doesn't always have all the answers, yeah. is, is, can be flappable, uh, that you can actually do things to surprise even the DM once in a while. And I think that stuck in my mind because every time that happens to me, mm -hmm. I imagine Monty Cook's face in yeah. my mind's eye with that expression he had on his face like, <laughs> how could you do that? That was... Not nice. Yeah, I uh, I had that happen to me at a convention last year. I had to get up and walk away mm -hmm. from the table when the the mad scientist in Deadlands who had an invisible cat named Timmy he said that Timmy nice. Timmy says we need to set the tent on fire. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I, had wow. to, I had to take a moment. Okay, I'm going to steal the invisible cat idea. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's a that. it's a great a great weird weird science mm-hmm. quirk. So uh, that brings us to the end of the formal questions uh, to our audience out there. What questions do you have for for Chris? It's a very general question. Um, you've been playing for a very long time. How, if in any way, has being a DM changed over time and being a player changed over time? I think that my playing has changed quite a bit because I've gotten much more comfortable immersing myself in the character. Um, And part of that is just becoming more comfortable DMing, particularly in front of crowds. Um, My inhibitions have sort of fallen away at this point. I don't have any, and I I don't have any ego to bruise left anyway. And, uh, And watching people who I think are true master role players having so much fun getting into their characters uh, people who spring to mind include Eric Mona who is a fantastic fantastic role player uh, totally gets into his characters makes them believable gives them quirks that last long after the campaign is over I remember his characters so clearly um, so I've learned things from watching people like him play their roles on the DM side I've gotten better at um, really thinking about characters in the campaign being the most important element and modeling my campaign to really deliver on my players' expectations and to pay off their character arcs. So I'm always asking questions of what's important to this character. If I don't know, I'll ask the player. Um, But usually I do know based on what the player information I'm getting during a session. And I spend an agonizing amount of time while I'm washing dishes, while I'm walking the dog, you know, while think just very banal things, thinking about how am I going to make this character's journey significant over the course of the campaign? Where do I want, where do I see them going? Um, where do I see, where, where does the player sort of want them to go? And coming up with ideas to pay that off. Uh, so for example, um, there is a character in my current campaign who is a tiefling. Um, he is an outcast. He is, however, very determined to become one of the great sea kings, one of the great merchant traders of the high seas of the realm. So over the course of the campaign, finding ways to make his create these hills and valleys in his life of a character, uh, to create these tensions among fellow party members, among NPCs, that will really make him feel like a, a vital living part of the campaign so that when the campaign is over and five years from now my players are in the next campaign and reminiscing about the, this current campaign, that what they remember are key moments from that character's life and sort of what defined them. Um, I think when I first started DMing, I didn't realize just how important it was for me as a DM to think about what is good for the characters and not necessarily good for my campaign. I noticed you didn't name any of the players from yesterday's celebrity game in your list of great role players. I'm still getting over that game. <laughs> <laughs> there, there were a lot of uh, body uh, raunchy moments. Uh, I might need therapy, to be honest. Yeah. Thank you. I'll take a good therapist. Other questions? Yeah. Um, I'll just throw this at you and see what comes out. Um, 
So there's a big, there's a slam in that door. There's another slam and it buckles. Another slam and it blows off its hinges. A huge monster comes out that no one's ever seen before. What does it look like? Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so terrifying it can't be described in words. Wait, <laughs> yeah. um, H.P. Lovecraft. Right? Yeah, very much so. <laughs> it's a color that doesn't exist in nature. Um, not to digress, but before I answer that question, okay. I'm, bu- I'm buying time here, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Which is a great DM tactic. Exactly. You're not familiar exactly. with it. Exactly. One of the best things I love to get in my job are art descriptions from freelance writers who describe things that they would like illustrated in the works that they have written. And often I will see things like, uh, this monster is so terrifying uh, that it cannot be described in words and it, it's, its eyes burn with an unholy light like no color known to exist and I'll give this to the artist <laughs> as a gag and say have fun and they'll usually come back to me and say uh, there's a slight problem here I don't know if you know this or not but I don't have a color that matches this non-existent color um, I think the creature that barges through the door is a um, gigantic dragon, uh, sort of greenish-black with two tails and heads that look remarkably like Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson, (laughs) Um, who uh, I, of course, hold up as gods. Um, that is truly terrifying. And they, do, they, they, they terrify me because I can't believe that they created something uh, that has so dominated my life. Hold on. Other questions? Yes, sir. Uh, Chris, a two-parter. What is your role in D&D Next? And have you yet had, whatever the role is, have you had any chance to think through tips for DMs who are probably going to be kind of midway through a 4E campaign who are going to want to port PCs and That's a very good question. So my role in D&D Next as the senior producer is primarily to push down the roadblocks that get in the way of the game being completed, being designed to uh, Mike Merle's vision, and uh, basically being a, a problem solver slash let's keep everybody on track, let's keep everybody focused, um, let's keep everybody on the same side. Basically, my job is to keep things running um, and to smooth out bumps and to push down anybody who gets in our way uh, who isn't contributing to the greater good. Uh, and The greater good. The greater good. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for the greater good. Uh, by the same token, nobody in the department is divested from sort of more creative aspects of creation. Uh, in my position with the authority that has been granted to me by the supreme powers of Watsi, I can impact the game in one of a billion ways um, and my opinions like everybody's on the team actually count so I'm always sending playtest feedback I'm saying I don't think this works quite the way it should I'm giving Mike advice, I'm talking him down off ledges uh, and um, I'm helping Jeremy Uh, any way I can. I just spent a great deal of time with Jeremy before the show actually uh, hammering out the first draft of the monster stat block format which we've put in a playtest package. So there's a lot of my contributions in that. 
um, they're sort of invisible little things in some cases, but that's one instance where I feel like I've really made an impact. So I'm looking forward to seeing what people think of it. Uh, as far as preparing for the next campaign and transitioning characters from one into another, I'm kind of, kind of getting close to that myself. I'm hoping to wrestle with some of those issues uh, and then talk about them a little in my weekly column because I don't have an answer to that yet. I'm not sure. We're so early in the development of the next iteration of the game, I'm not even sure how I'm going to do that um, or how easy it is. It might be dirt simple. <coughs> I hope it's dirt simple, but um, I just don't know. Mm -hmm. That's a really good question, and I, I'm looking forward to answering it at some point. How can DMs improve an improvisation? How can DMs improve an improvisation? I think the key there is to get over fear of failure, um, to, to feel comfortable enough with the group that you're in to allow yourself to make mistakes. And I'm, I'm certainly not guilty of this either. It takes, there, let me think of a specific example. I'm, I'm very good, or I've become very good, at improvising dialogue uh, to come up with something better than, yeah, well, you're stupid, <laughs> um, to actually keep conversations going. And uh, I do that. I got better at it because I got more comfortable with the players I was with. And they could, I found, or I discovered that they were always and have always been very forgiving of little faux pas, little mistakes. I thought you said it was 10 feet deep, not 20 feet deep. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, so getting over, getting over fear of making mistakes in a game, I think, helps improvisation because it loosens you up. It, it sort of clears away some of the, the emotional baggage you're carrying as a DM. Um, if I were to pick on something very specific, a very specific thing that has worked for me, uh, let me think about that for just a second. As far as improvised dialogue goes, I think that one of the things I've picked up watching television, serialized dramas, is that try not to say something that is just empty, but actually conveys a new piece of information. Um, like, for instance, if you are in a, uh, if you are having a conversation during a battle, with the characters and you're a major villain and you're trying to think of interesting things for your major villain to say other than die, 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 um, then you could come up with a story that the villain tells about the last band of adventurers who tried to get in his way. You're giving them instantly new information that may not be relevant or important to the campaign. And he says, oh, you are just as weak and feeble as this halfling, you know, that thwarted me before and he'll live to rue the day I have him chained up in my dungeon whatever mm -hmm. uh, you can just make things up that feed information into the campaign that maybe will be important or maybe not uh, but I used to have a big problem if the characters went into a bar and they started to have conversations with just random NPCs who weren't important how I was going to make things interesting and so I would always just try to dream up something that an NPC could say that is just a piece of information about the campaign. Oh, did you hear about the robbery that happened at the bank two days ago? Something as simple as that 
could lead the campaign in a very interesting direction. And then if they decide to explore on that particular hook and go to the bank, maybe I could have another NPC there with another piece of information that's useful. Um, just constantly dreaming up ways to add new information to the campaign that may or may not even be relevant is something that I've learned fairly recently, and I think that's helped me out a great deal. Um, the other thing that's helped me out a great deal is stealing liberally from actors. Um, I Most of my improvised voices are poor attempts to imitate actors with very distinctive voices that I know or that I've seen. Um, so often a character in my head will have a Anthony Hopkins voice and I'll say that if I were to cast this character in a movie it would be played by Anthony Hopkins and he's going to talk like that and I'll do my barest Anthony Hopkins uh, riff and which, which sounds like <laughs> oh jeez! Now you're really putting me through it. Improvisation. Yeah, this is all improvisation. <laughs> and he said, uh, "Let me think. Um, what could I say? What could I say in an Anthony Hopkins voice? Give me a line. Somebody feed me a line." How would you react to the two-headed dragon that's coming through the door? Ah, two-headed dragon. Yes. I'll help you catch him. <laughs> uh, let's see. What else could he say? I'll eat its liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. And <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Yep. Uh, don't go through that door. Or, uh, you know, a Christopher Lloyd voice. Uh, you know. Ragnar! 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 2100 gigawatts! <laughs> uh, don't kill that dragon! Marty! <laughs> yeah, it's all craziness. Uh, female voices I suck at. There's just no getting around it. I've got too deep a voice. For my part, with, with that kind of thing, sometimes it's not about the tone of your voice, it's just about the inflection and the phrasing. Mm-hmm. You don't have to sound like Christopher Lloyd to convey Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. You know, as long as you can get the pacing and the tone right, that can communicate everything you need. And you don't necessarily want to sound like Christopher Lloyd. No, no you, you don't. sound like no. some other, some character. Who are you people? Who are you people? <laughs> Who are you people? You know, yeah. just shake it up a little bit. Um, and I make mistakes uh, constantly. Um, I once had a, uh, an NPC in a campaign who started with an Australian accent that turned into a Jamaican accent. <laughs> only, uh, one, only one player picked up on it. Uh, but, uh, you know... It died. It's all good. It's all fine. <laughs> well, I think at this point in time, we probably need to transition on to the trivia so we can... Trivia! Yeah. So, uh... <laughs> trivia! <laughs> so we've got, uh, what, four map packs here? Yeah, we've we got, got some, uh, I got some Haunted Temples uh, map packs and some Vaults of the Underdark map packs, and wait. I got a Paul Kemp book. Yeah, a signed, a signed copy of signed the uh, Erebus Kale Trilogy, <laughs> and we have a copy of Heroes Erebus of the Elemental Chaos. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure you could get one signed yourself. Uh, I'm sure I could probably swing it. I'm sure I could probably swing it. <laughs> He's not hard to find. Yes, indeed. Um, so let's get some trivia going here. Uh, the first piece of trivia is... Um, let me make this... Since this is about me, <laughs> there you go. Um, I'm just curious. 
can anybody name one thing that I might have designed and or written? Ha-ha. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> Maybe you should write something better next time. <laughs> Uh, See, it's hard when your name's not on the front of the book. That's well, it very rarely is. That's right. The designers get all the glory. Um, so here's here's a different here's a different question. Uh, Village of Hamlet, who's uh, Rufus's life mate? Burn. Yes, sir. Burn. Congratulations. All right. Uh, here's uh, Vaults of the Underdark in the Village of Hamlet. What is the name of the inn? Inn of the Welcome Witch. You got it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, you know, pulling from old adventures is fine, but it, those of us who weren't born might <laughs> be a little bit of a challenge. Uh, so let's uh, try to get to something a little bit more modern here. Uh, can somebody name for me, for this haunted temple, one of the third edition iconic characters? Regdar, and Tordek, and Aramel, <laughs> and Ever, and Miguelie. What's that? Little the halfling. Okay, I'll give you this one, and you can have that one. Or which one do you have the other one? Add All right, there you go. Thank you. Yes. All right. Um, Your name is on the inside of that one. Look at that. Yes, let's look at that. For those of us who are he's looking at that. This, this feels like it was like I worked on this a zillion years ago. Everything I do seems like I worked on it. It just came out a couple months ago, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I just had a weird conversation with um, somebody about the Saga Edition Star Wars, um, (laughs) and I had to be convinced that I actually co-designed it, (laughs) because I don't remember it at all. (laughs) It's like written by somebody else with my name. Um, Let's see. Um... For the Elemental Chaos book, can somebody name an editor, past or present, of Dragon Magazine? Steve Winter. Well done, sir. Steve Winter. <laughs> Which, by the way, is great company to keep. Um, yeah, no kidding. If One of the things that makes me... Uh, go to sleep with a smile on my face is the thought that I've had a chance to contribute to something that has uh, been shaped by the likes of Roger Moore, Kim Mohan, Dave Gross, and countless others. Wolfgang Bauer, um, the list of Eric Mona, mm-hmm. the list of people who have worked on those magazines is just staggering. Happy to be a part of it. Uh, let's see. Um, for the Erebus Kale trilogy, this should be a Forgotten Realms question, I think. Yeah, I think so. Uh, can somebody name a member of a member of Dritzdoorden's immediate family? Anybody know a name of? Yes. The expressions out here are priceless. I'll try some. Yeah, 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 this is astonishing. Let's make it even easier. Um, But another Dritz question. Um, In honor of Bob Salvatore, who couldn't make it to Gen Con this year. Uh, So, what is the names of Dritz's scimitars? 
Twinkle and Ice and Death. Congratulations, sir. <laughs> Which was also a question in the book video. Yeah, fair wow. enough. Got three of them. And uh, the. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> Twinkle. Yeah, what the? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, and that's the strong one. Yeah. Bob, Twinkies. Bob's always had an interesting um, method of coming up with names for things at his book yes. store. <laughs> yes, his method is different from my method. Um, although I do have a reputation for coming up with names that my players can't spell. So. Everybody does that. Yeah. Yes. It's like, since when were W's silent? <laughs> it's uh, Welsh. Well, Chris, thank you very much for coming on Gamer to Gamer, live for the first time at Gen Con. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, and really appreciate it. Great. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Gamer to Gamer. Gamer to Gamer is published by The Tome Show in association with the Vorpal Network. Gamer to Gamer is published under a Creative Commons non-commercial 3.0 share-alike license. The music for the intro and the outro was provided by Brian Boyko and can be found under public domain at freepd.com.